0: We're going to continue this morning in a sermon series called The Church is Not for Church People. We have one more week after this, and then we'll wrap up next week with the series. And we've been talking about kind of the unexpected ways that God expects us to be the church and and not just sit back and wait for uh, people to come to us, right? Uh, Just to come and and hear good news. I think that happens sometimes. But the call the church is to go and to be the church every day. I kind of made the case that we are called to be missionaries wherever we are, right? Like or called to be pastors, if you will, or called to be proclaimers of the good news wherever we are. And that's because you will go places that no one else will go. So, a couple of things have been going on. Uh, not only did I get to go to Colorado last week, but we, I got to sit in on a live stream of a pastor's conference, which was phenomenal, up in uh, Bethlehem in Minnesota. It was really awesome, and I only share it with you because today we are going to celebrate Sanctive Human Life Sunday. And this is one of those things for me that has, you know, we've been working on over the years and stuff, and I have my own, you know, passions for this issue. As you know, we sat down at um, Hope Clinic the 40 days for prayer thing, and, and we, we believe, we believe, and this is, I want to say this, and I'm going to say something else, but we believe that God absolutely treasures unborn children and children who are born, which includes all of us, <laughs> absolutely treasures them. But what I want to say very quickly after that is God treasures everyone involved in that process, whether or not we have been affected by abortion. So the last thing we need to do as a church, as a people, I don't mean the family Bible, I mean as a believer in Jesus Christ, the last thing that I need to do, or you need to do, is to give people the idea that God has forgotten them and their suffering. He has not he is not a forgetful God in that way. And so instead, he is with us through our suffering and our difficulty. And as a matter of fact, his word promises radical transformation for those of us who are called according to his purpose. And so we celebrate the God of redemption this morning as we remember sanctity of human life Sunday. All that was to share this with you. I was, uh, I was considering some scripture I wanted to share with you as we start. You all know we have a guest speaker coming this morning. I'm super, super excited about that. I want to talk about that in a second. But I want to share one verse of scripture with you as we kind of set the table a little bit here this morning. Um, I was listening to a medical doctor speak at this conference. And he he said, God has to do something before something else happens, right? Like, God begins something before something begins, okay? And this is the verse that was uh, taught from, he says, uh, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and born of the Spirit. And, and I, you know, I've heard that verse before a bunch of times. I'm sure you have too. But he said, the first thing that has to happen is you have to be born of water and the Spirit, and then you can enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John 3. You have to be born again before you can enter the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again. And how does that relate to birth? A God, and this was the medical doctor talking about it. He said, He said, God begins life before we are born I was talking to a dear friend of ours this week about um, birthdays. Um, maybe some of you know that we've had some brothers and sisters go on to be with the Lord. We believe they're in heaven with Jesus right now. And the question was, do they celebrate birthday in heaven? Do they celebrate earthly birthdays in heaven? And it's like, hmm, that's a great question. It was asked by like a four or five or eight-year-old, something like that, right? What's your answer to that? And see, the truth is that God began life before our birthday. And he, that's the testimony of Scripture is that he knew us we're being knit together. It's such a great, great word. And I just want us to see the totality of who God is and what God is doing in our lives. So, so God starts something, and then we celebrate what God did at birth. So I'm super excited to be just standing 100% on this idea of that we are with people and suffering, but we are also believing 100% that God is the author of life and there is none other. So with all that being said, that was a little bit of a long intro, I want to invite up this morning our friend Nicole Robles. Uh, Nicole and Joshua are with us. I don't know if you were there uh, last year or not at the Relevant Banquet, but uh, she was the keynote speaker. I have had the pleasure to going, of going to the Relevant Banquet for 10 years. I've been a pastor here at Family Bible Church, and I've been involved, and we love that ministry. And I can tell you, and I'm not just saying this, I was blown away by Nicole's courage and testimony they've had professionals come in they've had these people they've flown in from other places they've rah rah celebrated and they're awesome awesome people but something and that night and this today for me is a culmination because that night god spoke to me and said you need to invite her to come to family bible church and talk to the church um i don't hopefully i don't i don't put her in a corner what she has to say this morning Uh, i want her to speak what the lord has for her but she has a powerful powerful story so i'm going to ask if nicole would come forward that would be great Also, as she comes up, her and her husband Joshua have been blessed with six children. They are faithful stewards of the gifts that God has given them. So we're just excited to to have her come and share with us today. Right on. Can I pray? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for Nicole for the work that you've done in her life and the work that you continue to do in her life and her great, great courage. Um, We love you so much, Lord. And what we want is for you to be glorified and us to be encouraged. Would you do your work? We believe only you can do it. Would you work through Nicole this morning as we come together to listen to what your word has to say and what you have to say to us about real life with you? Um, We love you so much. We trust you with the work that you do. We claim no wisdom of our own, so would you impart your wisdom through your Holy Spirit to Nicole and to us? We are excited. We love you so much, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: As Pastor Bill said, and many of you know, this is um, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I kind of did a little research on my own because I wasn't exactly sure where it started or who started it, but Sanctity of Human Life Day was established by Ronald Reagan, and it was established in 1984, and it just so happened to be the 11th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. I don't find that probably coincidence at all. But what many of you may not know is that since the passing of Roe v.ersus Wade, our nation alone has lost over 60 million lives to abortion. On average, 1 million lives every year. To help put that into perspective, we lose more lives every single year to abortion than we lost in all of our wars combined. Let me say that one more time. We lose more lives every year to abortion than we lost in the American Revolution, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Persian Gulf War, the war in Iraq, and the war in Afghanistan combined. I understand that abortion is not a topic that many people like to think about, much less talk about. But as you can see, our silence is costing us millions of lives each year. Abortion is something that I'm very passionate about because it nearly took my life. You see, at 16, I became pregnant. I was a sophomore in high school in a small town in Indiana, much like Highland. My main focus was playing sports, I had earned a varsity starting position on the volleyball team and hoped to do the same for the basketball team. My volleyball coach had even reached out to local colleges and they were interested in giving me a look this year. I thought my life couldn't get any better. Then I happened to catch the eye of a senior on the varsity soccer team and he asked me out. We dated for a few months when I found out that he had already been sexually active and I began feeling pressure to have sex too, if I wanted to keep him. A short time later, I became pregnant. I wasn't on any form of birth control, because honestly, I was naive. I didn't think this was something that could happen to me. Scared and confused, I called my older sister. She immediately came over, and we agreed to tell my mom together. Upset, disappointed, and angry, my mom quickly brought up abortion. To her, I was just too young to be a mother. Having a baby would ruin any chance that I would have at a volleyball scholarship, and it would forever tie me to a boy my, ba- my parents couldn't stand. My sister begged and pleaded with my mom not to make me go through it. She even offered to raise my baby for me, but that just didn't seem feasible for my mom. My boyfriend's parents just seemed all for it as well. My head was just swirling out of control. I couldn't think straight, and I had no idea what to do. My mom phoned the abortion clinic that was about 35 minutes away and made the appointment. It would be exactly like someone in Highland going to the Hope Clinic in Granite City. So the plan was my mom would call me into into school sick on Friday, I would go have the procedure done, rest the weekend, and return to school like nothing ever happened. Friday morning came, and we made the drive to the clinic. On the sidewalk in front of the clinic was a large group of protesters. I looked at my mom, and she said, Just walk right past them, right into the building. We got out of the car and began walking towards them. They were holding signs and yelling, Don't go in there. They kill babies in there. My mom and I continued to walk right past them until I heard Nicole. I immediately stopped and turned to see a woman running towards me, and I recognized her as a mother from a girl on my volleyball team. She ran up to me, she grabbed my arm, and she began pulling me away from the clinic. She said, Nicole, don't do this. You don't have to do this. My mom seeing this yanks my other arm pulling me towards the clinic. Overwhelmed, I began to cry so hard I was shaking, and I collapsed in the middle of the road. The security guard, working at the clinic, realizes what's going on and ran out. She picked me up, and she carried me inside. She put me in a conference room where I would sit until my mom and a nurse came in. The nurse handed me some pills to help calm my nerves, and apologize for what just happened. I was then taken to get an ultrasound, which I was not shown. I was told that I was about seven weeks along, and it was nothing more than a blob of tissue. I then was taken downstairs to a small exam room in the basement of this building and told to lie on the exam table, and the doctor would be in shortly. I began drifting in and out of sleep from the medicine that they had given me when the doctor and the nurse finally came in. The doctor began the procedure, and I was immediately in an extreme amount of pain. I began crying out and was told to sit still and be quiet and let the doctor do his job. At one point, the pain became so intense, I tried to sit up. I was forcefully shoved back down on the table and held there by the nurse until the procedure was finished. It seemed to go on for what felt like forever but in reality, was probably only 15 or 20 minutes. After being escorted out of the exam room, I was put in a room full of cots. This is where you went immediately following an abortion, so that the exam room could be made available for the next girl. I lay there until my mom was able to come help me walk out. I was told to rest the weekend, and then I could go back to life, as I knew it, like nothing happened or at least that was the plan. I will be honest with all of you. I left that abortion clinic that day feeling relieved. I thought my life could go back to normal and no one even had to know. But I would later realize that abortion was not a solution. It was the beginning of a whole new set of problems and it would take me down a darker road than I could ever have imagined. I went to school on Monday like nothing ever happened. But it didn't take long for me to notice that something wasn't right. As I walked down the hallway, I felt everyone's eyes were on me, and I could just tell they were talking about me. It wasn't until I got called into the guidance counselor's office that I would realize exactly what was going on. It was there that I would find out the mom who recognized me had called the school while I was in the abortion clinic. She told them where I was and what was going on. My little secret was no longer a secret. Just like that, I went from popular to outcast. I was devastated. After a few days, I just couldn't take it anymore, and I began skipping school, days at a time, and calling myself in sick. Eventually, of course, I got busted. I was kicked off the volleyball team because I was no longer a good example to those on the team that looked up to me, which of course eliminated any chance at a volleyball scholarship that I had. I had now lost everything. I had no clue how to deal with all that was going on or how to cope with all the feelings that I had. I just wanted to be numb. I wanted to escape my life for a while, so I turned to drinking. Getting drunk allowed me to escape, even if it was just for a little bit. I began to enjoy the escape drinking gave me, and I wanted it more and more. I started drinking at home, at school, and honestly, I stayed drunk as much as I could. Eventually, alcohol wasn't enough, and I turned to drugs as well. My mom couldn't help but see my downward spiral and decided she would pay tuition for me to attend another school. I kind of thought this might help me escape what I had done, so I decided to try out for their volleyball team, hoping to get some part of my life back. Instead, I was cut by the coach and told that he knew who I was, what I had done, and didn't want someone like me on his team. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't escape what I had done. I had nothing left in my life that I cared about. I'm going to briefly summarize the next 10 to 12 of my life, years of my life because I don't wish to give the enemy any more attention. But I think it is very important for all of you to understand where abortion took me and where Jesus brought me back from. I continued drinking and doing drugs and did my best to bury my abortion as far down as I could. None of this made my situation any better. Instead, it intensified an anger, or probably more like a rage that burned inside of me. I began lashing out on everyone around me. I found great joy in ripping those to shreds with my words. And if I could make you cry, even better. I picked fights with people, anyone I could, so that I could hurt people, and I did very badly. Inflicting pain on someone else made me feel powerful, strong, and in control. But the truth was, the one I truly hated was myself. My family never talked about my abortion. I guess they thought we could sweep it under the rug and act like nothing happened. But I couldn't do that. Or maybe it's because they didn't know what to say or how to say it. Either way, I never felt so all alone in all of my life. I had so much bottled up inside of me and I had no idea how to deal with all of it. Abortion isn't something that you can just talk about with anyone. Although legal, It is not socially accepted. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say downright hateful things about women who've had an abortion right to my face, not knowing I was one of those women that they were talking about. Years passed, and eventually I got married to an alcoholic, very abusive man. The the abuse lasted for years and through two pregnancies. I stayed because I thought it was what I deserved. I eventually would leave, but only when my boys were old enough to realize what was going on. I left for them, not me. I could not let them think this was an acceptable way to treat a woman. Over the next few years, I struggled as a single mom, and my ex made it a point not to help me in any way. I eventually got a good job, and I put myself through school. I got a degree and graduated top of my class. I found a nice place for us to live in a dependable vehicle. I had taken myself from broken and beaten to successful and accomplished. But no matter what I did or what I accomplished, nothing I did helped me escape the hate I felt every day when I looked in the mirror. There was no escaping that. I just wanted to die. So many times I thought about just ending it, but I couldn't. What would this do to my kids? I knew I would just be transferring my pain to them, and I couldn't do that. Fed up and with no other options, I called my older sister, the same older sister who tried so hard to save me from all of this. I asked her if I could go to church with her on Sunday. God was my last resort. I went to church that Sunday, and I'm not sure if any of you have ever experienced this, but that sermon was for me. It was like God was talking only to me. And he had gotten my attention. I decided I had done it all on my own and made a complete mess of my life. So why not give him a shot at it? It truly couldn't get any worse. I got out of the pew, I walked up front, and I gave my heart and my life to God that day. And my life hasn't been the same. Not long after that, I married the pastor's son and I moved to Highland. Over the next few months, as I drew closer to God, I began to see him speaking to me in some strange and weird ways. I'm sure some of, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. One of these ways was the day that I was painting our boys' bedroom, and I was listening to Joy FM. A song came on the radio, and the lyrics just impacted me in a way I couldn't explain. The song was You Are More by 10th Avenue North. Some of you may know this song, but it begins like this. There's a girl in the corner with tear stains on her eyes from the places she's wandered and the shame she can't hide. She says, how did I get here? I'm not who I once was, and I'm crippled by the fear that I've fallen too far to love. But don't you know who you are? What's been done for you? Don't you know who you are? You are more than the choices that you've made. You are more than the sum of your past mistakes. You are more than the problems you create. You've been remade. I decided to call my husband at work and tell him all about this new song I heard. He told me that he would listen to it. About 10 minutes later, he calls me back. He says, Nicole, have you seen the video? I responded with no. He said, you need to. After hanging up the phone, I got on the computer, and I began watching it. The video starts with a girl sitting in the corner crying. And as they sing from the places she's wandered and the shame she can't hide, the camera goes to a chalkboard as someone writes abortion. I immediately began sobbing and knew why the song had hit me so hard. You see, you can bury things down as far as possible, but it isn't beyond God's reach. This would be the beginning of a long journey that God would take me on to receiving the healing and the peace that only he could bring to the wounds that I had buried, but were far from gone. Through this song, God was telling me I hadn't fallen too far for him to love. He needed me to hear this. He needed me to know this. He needed me to realize that I was more than my past mistakes. The song goes on to say, "'Cause it's not about what you've done, but what's been done for you. It's not about where you've been, but where your brokenness brings you to." He needed me to understand that it isn't about what I had done, it's all about what he has done for me. I realized then he wanted me free from all of my pain guilt, and shame. He wanted my brokenness. He wanted me free from the bondage the enemy had on me. You see, the enemy has a way of using our shame to keep us right where he wants us, making us feel like no one would ever love us if they knew what we have done. But you see, God's word tells us in Revelations twelve eleven how we conquer that enemy. By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus did that part for us on the cross. Then it goes on to say, and, not or, and, by the word of our testimony. This is the part that we have to do. It has been my personal experience that we often do just the opposite. We do our best to hide those scars, those wounds, those past mistakes, so others won't see them. We want or need others to believe that we have it all together because for them to think any differently would embarrass us or make us feel like we have failed in some way. But it is through our vulnerability that others see just how amazing God truly is and how He is the only one who can free us from those wounds. Once God showed me this, I knew what He was leading me to, sharing my testimony. This is the first time and not the last. I would find myself trying to reason with God, pleading my case to him. But God, people will judge me. Don't you understand? I already know how people feel about women who've had an abortion. God would then lead me to a story of the sinful woman. Maybe some of you have had this experience before, where you read a story or maybe a few verses in the past. You get the gist of what it's saying, but you don't think too much more about it. But just at the right time in your life, God brings you back to that same story, those same verses again, but this time he brings with it a much deeper meaning or understanding, one you didn't have before, one that would hit your heart in a way that is almost indescribable, a way that would stick with you far longer than any understanding you've ever had this would be one of those stories for me. And the story goes like this. The Pharisees invited Jesus to their house for dinner. While Jesus was sitting at their table, a sinful woman from the city was cleaning his feet with her tears and her hair. She kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. While this was taking place, one of the Pharisees said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what is touching him for she is a sinner. Jesus addressed them with a parable, like he often did. The parable was like this. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Jesus asked them, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one whose debt he the can't, the, ugh, sorry, The one whom he canceled the debt was larger. Jesus said, You have have just judged rightly. Jesus then said to them, You invited me here, but gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet. Therefore I tell you, her sins are forgiven, for she has loved much, but he who has forgiven little, loves little. I can't tell you how much I can relate to this story. I felt just like the sinful woman. I know the price he paid for me was huge, and he knows how much I love him for it. The freedom he gave me, I could not have gotten anywhere else. And through Jesus, I've gotten that freedom. Through this story, he was showing me not to focus on what others might say about me, but how much he loves me. That's what matters. I would eventually share my testimony at a local church and was shocked afterward by how many women came up to me and said they too had had an abortion and have never told anyone. A report given by Guttmacher Institute states that 63% of all abortions performed in 2014 were on patients that claimed some sort of religious affiliation. Another statistic tells us that one in three women have had an abortion. This breaks my heart. How many women are walking around with this deep, dark secret? How many women feel like they can never escape this pain? God had now lit a fire in my heart and the desire to bring awareness to abortion to light. Through a series of, as I like to call them, only God events, I would soon find myself at Relevant Pregnancy Center here in Highland. Through a few visits to drop off donations, I came to understand and appreciate exactly what Relevant does. I would also learn that they were in need of someone to lead their abortion ministry, someone who would be willing to talk with women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy and considering abortion, as well as those who made the decision in the past to have an abortion and are having a hard time dealing with that decision. When I began seeking God on whether or not this is what he wanted me to do, he would now lead me to the story of the Samaritan woman in John, You see, this woman would have an encounter with Jesus at a well that would forever change her life, but also the lives of those around her. After her encounter with Jesus, she just couldn't be silent. Scripture tells us that by sharing her encounter with Jesus, the whole town came to know him. In reading this story, we also see she had several husbands, and the one that she was living with wasn't even her husband. I imagine like the sinful woman, this woman was probably not held in high regard by those in the town. I think it was, oh wait, sorry. So what made these town people listen to her? I kept asking myself, what made them believe her? What made them stop and listen? I think it was the passion by which she spoke of her encounter with Jesus. You see, there's just something about people who speak from the heart that captures an audience. I believe they couldn't help but be moved by her story and wanted for themselves this excitement that she now had. Through this story, God was showing me it didn't matter what the townspeople might think of me. What matters most and what would speak louder than anything else is my encounter with Jesus, the passion by which I spoke of him and what he had done in my life. I knew then I needed to share my testimony with others so that they may come to know him as well and have their own encounter with him. I decided to accept the position at Relevant but would soon realize this wasn't the only place God would call me to share my testimony. He began opening up opportunities for me to share my story publicly in churches, on the sidewalks in front of the abortion clinic in Granite City and other places like Relevance Pro-Life Banquet. It hasn't gotten any easier, and but God has been faithful to show up and strengthen me. And he is constantly reminding me, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. I could never imagine the way God would use my story to reassure a woman who at a very young age also found herself facing an unplanned pregnancy considering abortion, but she didn't go through with it, and for 30-plus years wondered what life would be like had she chosen differently. I was speechless as she thanked me, with tears streaming down her face, for easing her mind and reassuring her that she made the right decision. Or when I was blessed to be in the delivery room, when the first abortion-minded client I ever spoke to gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby boy. As I held him in my arms, and the tears streamed down my face, I knew he was the beauty from my ashes. He was the beauty I had waited 20 years to see. Little Jax is about to turn to, I can't tell you how many times his mother has thanked me for being the only light in her life at her darkest moment. She even named him after me. I share these stories with you not for my own glory, but because all of you need to understand that you too have a testimony that needs to be told. Someone is waiting in their darkest moment for you, for you to share with them what God has done in your life and what He can do in theirs too. Someone who will just listen to them, who will show them compassion. Show them love in a world that has gotten so fast-paced, unpersonal, and self-seeking. This ties into what God has laid on my heart over the past few months that I would also like to share with you before I turn it back over to Pastor Bill. That's the story of Jonah. Again, a story I am sure all of you have heard many times, but God has shown me a few things recently that I believe he wants me to share with some of you. We know that Jonah was told by God to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against their wickedness. We also know that Jonah very much didn't want to go, so much so that he was willing to rebel against God. It's never a good decision usually. So what was it about Nineveh that made Jonah so adamant not to go? Scripture tells us that Nineveh was a mighty ancient Assyrian city that took Jonah three days to journey across. Many estimate Nineveh was so large, it stretched for possibly 30 to 50 miles, containing anywhere from about 120,000 people. It was also the center of worship for the goddess Ishtar, the goddess of war, combat, love, sex, and fertility. This was the capital in this area for pagan god worship. Its entire history was filled with violence, terror, torture, and killing people. These people were known for pridefully carrying around and displaying the parts of their enemies' body as souvenirs of war. The king of Nineveh would usually bring a severed head of the recent conquered king home, raise it on the pole in the midst of his royal banquet, commemorating his victory and finally put it over the gate of Nineveh, where it would slowly rot. Now, how many of you are willing to go call these people out on their wickedness? Most of us would do exactly what Jonah did, hop on a boat heading the opposite direction. But as we see Jonah's disobedience upset God so much, he sent a violent storm. A storm so violent that the crew was afraid, they began crying out to their gods and throwing cargo overboard in hopes that it would save them from death. These were sailors, no strangers to the high seas or the storms that would come. So this must have been one storm for them to be fearing for their lives. And where do we find Jonah? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. The only one who had the one true God, the one Christian aboard this ship, and he's sleeping. I don't know about you, but this opened my eyes. I believe some of you here today are just like Jonah. You've been told by God to do something, something you think is impossible or you're too afraid to do. Trust me, I get it. But what you can't see is someone is going through the most violent storm in their lives, and you're asleep in the bottom of the boat. Scripture goes on to tell us that once the crewmen threw Jonah overboard, the storm immediately stopped. The crew was so amazed by the power of Jonah's God that they made a vow to him. Jonah would spend the next three days in the belly of a huge fish before he was vomited out on dry land. God then instructed him a second time to go to Nineveh. This time, Jonah listened. Once in the city, Jonah began proclaiming, Forty days. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Then it says, which I found very interesting, the Ninevites believed God. That everyone from the least to the greatest fasted and put on sackcloth, including the king. Why does it say that they believed God? Did they know that Jonah was a man of God, or was it something else? What made this entire city of some of the most wicked people Repent without question. In search for those answers, I came across some very interesting information. You see, it's been proven that before Jonah entered the city, there was a sign in the sky, a very uncommon sign that got all the people's attention. This sign was a total solar eclipse that is now called the Bur Bursegal Eclipse. God warned the city before Jonah even arrived. Then for 40 days and for 40 nights, Jonah called for the people of Nineveh to repent of their sin so that the city wouldn't be destroyed. Looking to the Hebrew calendar, we see the eclipse took place on the first day of Elul, which happens to be called the month of repentance. In the Hebrew culture, the month of Elul is the month of reflection, a month for God's people to seek him, To ask Him to reveal any sin that remains in their lives or in their nation. They would ask Him for forgiveness for those sins as a people and as a nation so that they may receive God's blessings. You see, 40 days from the first of Elul is one of God's feast days described in Leviticus 23, the Feast of Atonement. Atonement means to be reconciled with God. It is not coincidence that Jonah cried out to the people of Nineveh for 40 days, calling for them to ask for forgiveness. Even this highly wicked city was important to God. I am sure all of you remember the total solar eclipse back in August that completely crossed the United States and only the United States. But did you know that this eclipse also took place on the first of Elul? Just like the one in the days of Jonah, in Genesis, God tells us the lights in the sky are signs, are for signs, seasons, days, and nights. Seasons in this scripture is translated, God's appointed times, His feasts. We see it also state in Luke 21:25 that these there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And of course, we all know about the star of Bethlehem. In the Old Testament times, they were constantly looking to the sky for signs. So I ask, if our God never changes, could he be asking America to turn back to him, just like he did the city of Nineveh? I believe he is. I believe our nation has taken God out of everything. A nation that was founded on God has now taken him out of our government, out of our schools, out of a lot of our homes, and so many have taken him out of their lives. We can't continue as a nation to shed the blood of so many innocent lives and expect God to continue to bless us. God wants his people to, to be reconciled back to him. He wants to be put back where he belongs first. I believe that this was a sign for America to get right with God, to stop allowing sin to rule over our nation, it is time for his people to wake up like Jonah and stand against the wickedness, no matter how intimidating the enemy is. Who knows? God may have already prepared them to hear exactly what you have to say. I thank you for having me here today, and I will now turn it back over to Bill.
0: I just want to take a minute and pray together as Nicole. Uh... Father God, we just give you glory and honor. Um, We can't ask anyone else to make you first in their lives if we don't make you first in our life, Father. So you are, we say that you're first in our life. The story, uh, thank you so much for Nicole's courage and sharing her story with us. And thank you for the way you redeem, the way you work. Um, I get so excited, Father, because her redemption story reminds me of my redemption story. Reminds me of the hope I can proclaim to friends who are still struggling and think they're stuck. Father God, today I'm, I'm sure all of us have things that are going on in our hearts and minds. I pray that your Holy Spirit would deal with us with those things. That if we desire any change in anything, would be willing to say, Change me first. Father, change my life first. Let me be an example to others as I follow you and change to for, fear glory. But you have to start that work in us, Lord. So I just pray. I have such a sense today, Father, your Holy Spirit's presence with us. I have such a sense of your cross's domination over your people, your blood that covers all sin. I just pray that we would let that blood covering do its work in our lives, that we would fully feel the redemption that you bought for us by your own blood, that we would fully feel the freedom you've called us into, that we would let you heal us like we need to be healed, and then we would dance in the streets because we're people fully redeemed. May you be glorified. May we be bearers of good news in our lives. I pray your blessing, continued blessing on the service today as we continue together in worship. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.